Well, good evening, Mosaic family. How are we doing? Woohoo! Hey, I can hear you. I don't have in ear monitors in. I am so excited. And the reason that is, is we are uh, talking about simplicity tonight. So, just to, to kind of set up the vision for the evening, we are doing just one microphone in the middle of the stage. Uh, but we want to just blend in together as the people of God, where the goal tonight is for us to just start the songs and then we just sing them together. Uh, worshiping God. Does that sound good tonight? Okay, well, let's stand up and we'll get started. That just feels so much more welcome. Thank you, Joy. I appreciate that. Hey, welcome. This is going to be really hard for me because I usually have about a 20-foot span of space that I take up, and so staying right here is going to take a lot of discipline. Hey, welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. We're really, really glad you're here. We are a church within a church, a congregation within this larger congregation that is Fellowship Bible Church, and the mosaic metaphor, that image is really important to us. It's a picture of who we long to be as a people. The metaphor begins with the idea that every single person has been broken by sin, that rebellion against God has broken all of us, and, and we've experienced pain from our own sin and the sins done to us. And yet, the incredible good news of Jesus is that every single person on earth matters to God. 
Despite all the brokenness, despite all the pain, God loves us. He loves us enough that he died for us on the cross in the person of his son, Jesus. And so because of that death and resurrection of Jesus, there is salvation for everyone who believes and the chance to come be a part of something new. This new thing that God is doing in the church where he takes these broken pieces and he begins to shape us and heal us and form us into a picture that gives all the glory to Jesus. And that's what it means for us to be a part of this church is to be a part of a people who are healing and being healed by the gospel of Jesus and, and pointing to the person of Jesus in everything we do. And one of the ways that the church does that one way to think of churches, if we're living out the calling that we're supposed to live, is that we would be like little outposts of heaven everywhere on earth. That we would be embassies of the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves. The church in China, or Nepal, or Mali, or Italy, or Argentina, or Northwest Arkansas, would be an outpost of heaven dropped down in the middle of where we are. And one of the ways that the church is called to be that outpost is to be good neighbors to those around us to love our neighbors well, and, and one of the callings of that is to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We talk about this uh, last Memorial Day, that as the nation around us was, was mourning the loss of, of veterans who served, that we mourn with them. And we have another national holiday coming up on Monday called Juneteenth, and it's, it's the day that we celebrate in America the time the last enslaved people were set free after the Civil War. And so it's a chance to mourn that slavery ever, ever was to grieve that that happened, and to rejoice that that has come to an end. And so we want to be people who represent Christ to those around us as we engage that holiday, and also to reflect, what, what does it mean? What would it look like for me, living a part of this church, being an outpost of heaven in my community, to love my neighbor as myself? What would it look like for me to take Paul's commission to have the mind of Christ and consider others' needs greater than my own. If the churches were outposts of the kingdom of God on earth, what would that do to racial relations and racial justice in our country? Uh, and so this is just a chance. We would invite you uh, to be a good neighbor and to love and celebrate well as we come up on this Juneteenth. We're a part of a series right now called Rhythms that if you're, if you're new with us, you haven't been here in a while, we're stepping into. And the whole point of the Rhythm series is to acknowledge that Christianity is both a truth to be believed and it's a way of life to live. And so we're spending this summer looking through the scriptures on what are those patterns of life that as Jesus followers, we step into and walk in. So um, we're actually gonna say a prayer tonight as we step into our simplicity evening, uh, a prayer that God would use this time to shape us. And, and some of us in this tradition might not be as used to these call and response type prayers, but it's essentially a way to pray something over the congregation that everyone in the congregation can really see and think about what's being prayed. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I have a tendency when I'm sitting in church and I hear the prayer being prayed to check out a little bit and wait till it's time for me to say amen and get on to the next thing. So we're gonna invite everybody to engage these words and I will say a prayer over our night as to what we will see happen this evening and then we're gonna invite the congregation to affirm that prayer together. And then we're gonna say a prayer over the offering that we're gonna take. So we're gonna have a time of prayer, praying these words together. So first, would you join me? I'll, I'll begin the formation prayer over us and then we'll pray it together, or we'll affirm it together. God, we join with your church throughout history in studying rhythms that will help us live and love more like you. And the people said, make us more like Jesus. Help us, for we are prone to doing too little, withholding parts of ourselves from you. Father, expand our hearts. Make us more like Jesus. Help us, for we're, uh, we are prone to doing too much, trusting in our own accomplishments. Spirit, teach us to rest. Make us more like Jesus. Give us the patience and perseverance we need to trust your work as you shape us into the likeness of your perfect son. In Jesus' name, amen. And now as we pray over our offering, our gifts to the Lord for his ministry and his purposes, I'm gonna invite you to say that offering prayer out loud with me. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. 
We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Well, church, would you stand with us as we worship our Lord? The start of this song uh, is one of my favorite lyrics that's been written. When the music fades and all is stripped away, we simply come before Jesus. It's the heart of worship. So let's sing this song together.
that chorus again, just the voices. Good evening, Mosaic. My name is Cindy Beam, and my husband and I, Greg, have been coming to Mosaic Fellowship for nine years, and I serve in the kindergarten program. And tonight, I'm going to be reading from Mark 10, 17-31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have done since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples were amazed at his word. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked, up, looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or field for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who was first will be last, and the last first. This word is of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Thanks, Cindy. Well, good evening, y'all. We're talking simplicity. So when I say simplicity, uh, what do you picture? Is it um, refusing to keep up with the times like the Amish, just perpetually living a little house on the prairie lifestyle. Maybe it's austerity, just a life of austerity, denying pleasures and decadence to live some monastic and communal lifestyle. Maybe it's a, a minimalist house that's sleek and sparse and empty. Maybe it's uh, CEOs of tech companies that seem to like identify a uniform, so the turtleneck on Steve Jobs or the gray T-shirt and white pant or uh, uh, blue jeans of Mark Zuckerberg. Is it someone eco-obsessed who only eats locally and is and in season and just doesn't use chemicals? They're just simple in that way. Maybe it's uh, tiny house or hashtag van life. Maybe. I think of summer camp uh, as a counselor living out of a trunk for three months. It was, it was uh, some, some camp shorts and uh, some costumes and not much else and just a life of simplicity in that way. But are any of these at the heart of the biblical rhythm of simplicity? 
Let's dig into it and find out. We're still in the rhythm series. Nick kicked us off several weeks back now, and, and he encouraged us to follow the Spirit as the Spirit guides us to live more and more like Jesus. And then Gary helped us get excited about prayer and meditation, just to see that God's heart is to be with us and for us to be with him. And then last week, Colin gave us a vision for fasting. I hope you took his encouragement and his challenge seriously. I I hope you gave fasting a try. And I hope you had someone to talk with about it this week. I got a text from someone in my community group just going, hey, what do we do now? Or what, what's kind of the next step? And that was really fun and encouraging. If, if you didn't have family or roommates or community group to share some story of God's faithfulness or kindness or even his persistence with, then let us know. A good place to, to connect would be out in the foyer after this. Come up to the info booth and just say hello. And we'd love to help you find people to do this life of faith with. Tonight, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We just heard it. And we're hearing the story of what the other gospels call the rich young ruler. Uh, To give you an idea how we're going to tackle it tonight, we're going to kind of have three parts to this message. The first part is we're going to look at this guy. What's his deal? And then maybe what's his deal actually? Like, what's he wrestling with? Part two is going to be his deal is your deal, and it's my deal. And it's maybe the longest and the most uncomfortable part of the message tonight. We're going to be peeling back layers, trying to get at the heart of the whole thing, that there's an outward expression of simplicity that sometimes feels easy to name. It's that list that we started the night with, all those ideas. But that actually there's an inward heart of simplicity that's going to take a little more work. And we, we can hear that intro list and go, yeah, those are, those are like maybe approaching the idea, but there's something not quite there. It's not the whole picture. And so we're going to wrestle in that space. And then part three is how can we deal? What are we going to do about it? What's a good picture of what we're called into and how can we respond? So let's start with part one. What's his deal actually? We'll pick up in verse 17 again. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a, frankly, a weird question for a a practicing Jew to ask because he knows the answer. The answer is observe the law. It it hasn't changed. The, The answer is consistent, but he asked the question anyway. And Jesus, in his typical form, answers with a question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. And this is going to be one of those verses that you're going to see taken out of context at times. You're going to to hear it said that Jesus here is denying his deity. It's not the case at all. It's not the case at all. Instead, Jesus is, is just doing the thing he always does. He loves to use a good question to surface a point of tension and and reveal something that's under the surface. And he doesn't believe that this young Jewish ruler believes he's Lord. So he's challenging Jesus. His statement. The passage continues You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and, mo- and mother. Now, which of the commandments are these? Look at him with me here. Murder, verse, or number six. Adultery, number seven. Steal, number eight. False testimony is nine. Defraud is what he says here, and in the commandments, it's covet. We can let those stand in for one another. That's 10. And honor your parents, number five. So five through 10. Which did Jesus not mention? He pointed to every horizontal people-to-people commandment. But he didn't mention a single one of the vertical God-with-people commandments. I think that's our first and most significant hint at our core heart issue for the night. But as the man considers the the people-to-people commandments, he answers, and he says, Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And we've got to see that. We've got to hear that heart posture. Because 
it's a hard message. It's a hard one to swallow. And it's an easy one for our heart to twist and say that this is, this is just confrontational. But it's, it is, but it's from a heart of love. He sees the man and he loves him. And what Jesus does next then is an act of love. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. What price did Jesus ask him to pay? Everything. It, it sounds overwhelming. But what price did Jesus ask each of the disciples to pay? Everything. Everything. Jesus had already invited many others to follow this same path, to give it all up and follow him. The disciples left their nets and their boats and followed after him. What price did Jesus pay in the incarnation in the crucifixion, everything, everything. He's not asking of this man or of any single one of us to go somewhere he hasn't already gone. That's why it's a follow me, not go, go out in front of me, follow me. One thing he lacked then wasn't the giving up of goods. That's the outward expression. It was the inward, singular devotion to Christ that he lacked. Christ was the one that he couldn't call good. And he was the one that he couldn't follow when beckoned. Come, come. This rich young ruler, if we can look at another parable here, is the merchant in this parable from Matthew 13 that that has been shown the most valuable of pearls. It's just been laid out in front of him. Life with God. It's a pearl worth selling everything else for. And he walked away empty-handed. He said, the cost is too great. Jesus asked him to give up everything. And he asked the disciples to give up everything. And he himself gave up everything. And if you are a believer in the room tonight, what was the price you've already committed to pay? Everything. You've already turned it over to him if you're a believer. You've already said, I am yours, Lord. But as Gary shared a couple weeks back, what he asks of you, everything, is of far less value than what he gives you. That most abundant, valuable pearl of life, life with him in the kingdom. It's exceedingly, abundantly beyond what we can even consider to ask for. It's good. And he is good. <clears throat> now, um, U.S. Census data uh, has Northwest Arkansas, uh, the, at the, the median income at $52,111. So ignoring taxes, just for the sake of the argument tonight, if we, we got about $1,002 a week or about $143 a day. And I, I, if we punch that number into how rich am I dot giving what we can dot org and put in a two person or two kid, two adult family, what's it spit out? It, it gives us this little chart here. And I know it's hard to see, but it, it says you're in the richest 10% of the world. That's just obscene. You're in the richest 10% of the world if you're making the median income. And I, I know that median means that a bunch of people don't make that much and a bunch of people make over that, and, and I get that. And even that the U.S., that that's not quite normal for the U.S., the U.S. has a different, I get all of that. But for the sake of the argument, hang with me. Do you know about the 1040 window? It's this image here on, on the, the globe and it's between 10 and 40 degrees north, all of the countries that fall in this space are among the least exposed to the gospel of Christ, the most unreached people. And many of these nations also are among the most destitute in the world. Getting the gospel to many of these places is considered some of the priority work of the church. In a recent year, ah, this hurts, sorry, 
in a recent year, the U.S. spent more money buying Halloween costumes for our pets than we did reaching the most unreached people in the world. World Vision says about 9.2% of the world population, that's 719 million people, give or take, are living on less than 215 a day. Just obscene. But my eyes, oh, they glaze over at statistics and all these feel too, 719 million might as well be a made-up number. I just can't grasp it at all. So I want to tell this same story a different way. Um, my wife, Kara, her parents are our part-time missionaries in Uganda, and they're there part of the year. They're there now. Uh, we got to visit in 2019 and got to sit with the, the men and women that they're employing. Um, and I was trying to shell dried corn with them, knock all the kernels off uh, with the women. That's the women's job, and their hands are not office desk hands like mine, so they are just kind of smiling at my inadequate effort. But uh, they were kind, and they, they let me uh, sit with them, even though I was slowing them down. And they were asking questions about U.S., about us in Northwest Arkansas and what life is like here. And they seemed especially intrigued to know about what Kara's life was like as our, our family homemaker. So they said, um, who helps her take care of all the household chores? And so I said, the whole family helps, but she does, she does most of the work of shopping and cooking and laundry and the like, kind of the, the home care. And, and to be honest, I'm feeling a little bit proud at this moment. Like, of course, I help because I'm a good husband. And, and of course, my kids are good kids. So we're good parents and they help. And also my superhero wife can like really do it though. Like she really does a great job of caring for our home and she kind of does it by herself. Man, that's cool. And then they just level me with their next curiosity. We heard in America that there are machines that help with the work. Do you have these machines? And I am just small and humbled and sobered. I was talking with women who had woken up before the sun and they'd walked in the dark the mile or two from their home to the work site and they'd started a charcoal fire but then grabbed the canteens and, and made their way down the hill so they could collect water from the spring there. And by the time I was sitting with them, I'd maybe been awake half an hour and that was enough time to wake up and eat a breakfast prepared for me by the people running the hotel we were staring at, and then being driven to the, the site. And, uh, and they had been long at work to boil water and wash and sort and start a pot of beans for lunch. It's, beans take a long time. Ugh. Electricity and coffee pots and crock pots and washer-dryer combos, all of these luxuries that 150 years ago existed nowhere are now so commonplace in my experience that my eyes are just closed to them. I just don't even see them. Consider even the gift of running water. Today, the World Health Organization names diarrheal diseases caused by unclean water as the, uh, the fifth leading cause of death in low-income countries. I just absolutely live every day not seeing all of the gifts, all of the gifts. And I, I sense by your faces <laughs> that I'm not alone in that. Um, so the warnings for the ruler are the warnings for us. And they're the same warnings that Jesus gave elsewhere in, in the parable of the sower. Look there with me, Matthew chapter 13. It says, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and so he, he sows, and some goes on the path, and birds gobble it up, and, and some goes on the rocky places, and, and it's quick to come up, but the sun just scorches it, and, and there's no growth really. But those other soils are a conversation for another day. Look at verse seven with me at the soil there. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And then he finishes with the, the final miraculous soil that gives a hundredfold harvest. We've heard that phrase already tonight. And Jesus is then asked to explain it all. And he says a little further down in verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life 
and the deceitfulness of wealth. And Mark, in his own accounting of this, adds uh, the desires for other things. They choke the word, making it unfruitful. So although our destination tonight is simplicity, the route there is through a conversation about money, since it's such a clear and direct threat to simplicity of heart. This is the point where we would typically go, if you're listening to a sermon maybe somewhere else or somebody trying to be a little less faithful to the the message, we would soften Jesus' words or we might say, it's just the young man, not all of us, because that young man's heart needed that challenge. After all, the Bible does talk about righteous rich and righteous poor and unrighteous rich and unrighteous poor. Maybe just, maybe just this, this man falls in that unrighteous rich category. <clears throat> I'm going to borrow from another set of talking points to, to make uh, a point here. And I hope I've earned your trust that your ears aren't going to just shut off when you hear it. Hear, hear what I'm actually saying and not what rises up in you kind of spontaneously. Sorry, in advance. It's a loaded analogy, absolutely. Um, you've heard the phrase, guns don't kill people, people kill people, Right? And, and in one sense, we can argue that that's factually true, that an inanimate object can't do anything, right? But also, guns, when used for violence by people, increase often the lethality of that person, how lethal they are. Now, the problem isn't money, right? Money's an inanimate object. It does nothing. It just lays there. It's, it's people. It's our heart that are the problem. But our hearts, they are idol factories. They love worship and they're constantly seeking something to worship, even if they have to make it themselves. And I have to feel that money is especially lethal, giving some of Jesus's critiques and warnings. It's the, the firearm of heart-threatening idols, if you will. Uh, if you've gotten into any of the AI stuff, I found an AI renaissance image generator and I punched in uh, the phrase, uh, the human heart infested and infected by American coins to, to make this thing. And it's just been uncomfortable. Like I keep thinking about it and I don't like it. And the weird cherubish looking lump things in the middle are not good for me. I don't, but there's something about it that is just stuck with me. And, and, it's, and I think the, the next four quotes, we're just gonna rapid fire through them. It's this image, it's these four quotes that are just like beating in my heart and I, and I wanna share them with you. So first it's Jesus in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, where he promises that where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. There will your heart be also. And uh, for that reason, he warned us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth. And then next, Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, maybe my favorite of the, the rhythms books, rhythms adjacent books, says, Jesus speaks to the question of economics more than any other single social issue. If, in a comparatively simple society, that is first century Israel, our Lord lays such strong emphasis upon the spiritual dangers of wealth, How much more should we who live in a highly affluent culture, the the richest 10% of the world, take seriously the economic question? It's getting (laughs) the knife's turning in there a little bit. Verse number three, not verse three, quote three here. It's Robert Gundry. He says that Jesus did not command all his followers to sell all their possessions, gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue that command. And finally, Dr. Samuel Johnson. He was touring a luxurious estate when he quipped, these are the things which make it difficult to die. These are the things that make it difficult to give up everything and follow him. And that's why part two was called, his deal is your deal, and my deal, it's our deal. So those sit heavy with you as they do with me? I think so. I'm seeing like nods of like, let's, let's, I hope the text kind of rescues us out of this moment a little bit. And so let's look back to Mark chapter 10. It says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich 
to enter the kingdom of God. I don't think the passage is going to resolve like I hope. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said, again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Like a camel through a needle, like a snowball's chance in hell. It'll happen when pigs fly. There's just not a chance. Just not a chance. But, but how? Because uh, many Jews at this time and many Christians even today would say that wealth is just a sign of God's favor. Of course, we're the richest nation in the world. It's, it's God's favor on us. We're God's chosen nation. If they're rich, they're loved. How do the disciples react here? At first, they're amazed in verse 24. But after Jesus doubles down, they're amazed even more. But they're also questioning. They say, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. And we need to pause and and read the passage that comes immediately before the rich young ruler. Because Mark is, he's doing something here in his gospel. So jump back to Mark chapter 10 verse 13, just the story right before this. We see that people were bringing Little children, and I promise that I didn't set this up because I'm the kids guy. Like, I know we end up in kids' passages a lot, but this is just what I was given, and it's here, so we're dealing with it. Uh, So he brings little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And this is the contrast of Mark chapter 10. The rich are like camels through the eye of a needle, but the kingdom belongs to such as these children. In first century Near Eastern culture, children are the lowest of low. They're insignificant, needy, weak, and helpless. They are a picture of utter dependence. The New American Commentary says it this way. The rich man is an example of one who tried to enter the kingdom by doing something. He stands in stark contrast with the children who had nothing and who could do nothing. Utter dependence. The children come, and the ruler, when prompted to come, does not. The New American Commentary, one more time. The ultimate focus of the passage is not only on the attitude with which one comes to Jesus, but on coming to Jesus, the object of one's faith. You gotta actually come. So are you following along as we pull these layers off? We're trying to get down into the gritty heart of it. He couldn't perform the outward expression of simplicity because the inward heart of simplicity just was not there. What does a simple heart look like? Let's jump to another Matthew passage, this time in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter six. There's a famous worry and anxiety passage. He says, if God clothes the grass of the field in just utter splendor, that's some of the setup that we cut, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. That might be the simplest decision-making grid for life. And everything else gets figured out. You come in utter dependence and just trust him with the rest. Seek first his kingdom. This, this is inward simplicity. This is simplicity of heart. Seek first his kingdom. It's absolute and utter dependence on God to be who he has promised to be already. What does God want for us? He wants abundant life and and joy overflowing. He wants us to enjoy the gifts and not be enslaved by them. 
He wants to let every good and perfect gift turn our heart toward him instead of letting them trick us into independence. Back in the original Mark passage, Peter speaks up and he says, we have left everything to follow you. Of course he does, arguing as always. And truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. It's the good soil again. Back to that guy. in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mother, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Our utter dependence is on God, and on the God, who promises to give us a hundredfold in every way, everything we turn over to him. And he does it through his church, and he does it even with a nod to persecution, that it's not going to always be sunshine and rainbows. It often comes at a great cost. So seek first his kingdom, singular devotion in utter dependence. And that brings us to part three. How can we deal with this? What are we we gonna do? How, how, How do we apply this? From this posture of utter dependence, it then informs our stewardship. And, and I'm picking stewardship as the right word instead of generosity. It, generosity is uh, the bishop in Les Mis. If you're familiar with Les Mis, the bishop, it's him giving the long incarcerated but recently released Jean Valjean a meal and a place to sleep. That's, that's generous of him. Stewardship is what happens when Jean Valjean is dragged back in front of the bishop by the authorities. He's been caught with a bag full of the silverware and the silver plates that he's stolen from the bishop. And the bishop at that moment takes the silver candlestick down and says, you forgot these. The bishop realizes you can't steal from me if none of it's mine. I want to be a wise steward, and in this moment, your soul is worth more to God and to me than my dining table. So we're reframing. Generosity, it almost implies that it's mine, and I'm sharing. But stewardship recognizes my temporary control of it. If you'll A while back, I talked about we're all bits of creation. (laughs) I just have a bit of money for just a bit of time, and that's it, and I'm gone. I'm done in this life. So it's just such temporary control, and it's going to be returned to the master. If you'll hear me, I have a favorite lyric. It's, uh, when the rain picks up and the sun goes down, sinners come inside with no money, come and buy. No clever talk nor gift to bring requires our lowly, lovely king. Come, you empty-handed. You don't need anything. So what do we do with our call to simplicity? How do we steward all of the gifts since they all belong to him in the first place? I've leaned hard into money and all the things that money buys for us and all the ways that our heart can get tangled up in what we have and what we want. We could have looked at simplicity in our minds and our, our thought life, how to simplify there, or maybe in speech, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Or perhaps we could have even, and this, was, this is why the talk was twice as long as it is tonight, is because I just went hard on time in my heart and I had to just cut it all. So simplicity in time. Because Ecclesiastes, again, promises that he's put eternity in our hearts. But as Oliver Berkman says, the brevity of life is the defining problem of human existence. We've been granted the mental capacities to make almost infinitely ambitious plans, yet practically no time at all to put them into action. We just don't have the time to do it. And that's, sorry. Uh, But I wanted to mention those others because we're we're about to set up the practice for the week. And uh, in case you already have money and uh, possessions in their right place in your heart and your life, I just wanted to give you the little extra nudge that simplicity implies in every category of life. So, um, but if, you'll, if you have your books, you can look on page 40. That's the uh, practice 
for the week. It's copied up here. So if you didn't get a book, just take a picture of this and take it home with you. This is the challenge for the week. Uh, Treat each one of these five as different days. It's the work of a single day. You'll read the scripture and then you'll take some time to listen to God in these guiding questions. So day one, we're, we're gonna ask God to assess, assess our attachment to possessions. We're gonna review the same story we studied together tonight. We're gonna let the spirit do the work in you and I of conviction, making our hearts more like Christ's. Uh, day two, we're gonna notice anxieties connected with lack and excess. You might do this and realize that you need some financial wisdom. You might uh, sign up for the Align class through the training center, or maybe jump into uh, some financial coaching with some partner organizations like uh, Freedom 5-1. You might do it and you realize that you need to practice being present with people, choosing to do a little less, to live a little less frenzied, to undo the excess of our Northwest Arkansas work grind, play grind, just to get the most out of every day. You're gonna live like you're never dying kind of life. Day three, Notice the danger of comparisons and satisfaction in God. Maybe one of the first places to do less is places that make the comparison game the hardest. So maybe you're gonna delete a social media account or maybe just try to figure out how to see less announce or advertisements. We're just advertised constantly and it brings up the spirit of discontent. Day four, you're gonna actually pick an area to downsize, an area of excess to maximize joy in God. Notice that we didn't even get to to actually cutting anything out until day four. We just wanted to burn around in our hearts for a little bit before we get to like making the garage sale pile too fast. Uh, But but maybe by this point, you're gonna pick a category to cut. Maybe you're gonna unsubscribe from a paid subscription service or, or cull a wardrobe or eliminate habitual distractions, whatever the Lord leads you to. And then day five, we're gonna display Jesus through an act of generosity. Uh, maybe stewardship. Maybe we'll just finesse the book a little bit tonight for our sake. It might be the result of the previous day that maybe you cut a subscription and then you use that 10 bucks a month to support a missionary now. Or maybe you cull a, a wardrobe and you donate the clothes to the clothes closet at the prison so when people are, are paroled, they have something to put on for an interview. Whatever it ends up being. I wanted to, to close for us tonight with the benediction that Richard Foster wrote in his whole simplicity chapter, and it's this. May God give you and me the courage, the wisdom, the strength, always to hold the kingdom of God as the number one priority of our lives. To do so is to live in simplicity. We're gonna take communion in a moment. And so I wanna just invite you forward to the tables. You can come and take the cup and take the bread and return to your seats with it. If you can't get up for some reason, flag somebody down near you and can we just take care of each other and make sure everybody gets those elements. I don't want somebody to have to come all the way forward if they just can't make it up here. Um, But tables are open, come on up.
So let's let communion tonight be a reminder of his straightforward call to us. Come and follow me. And if we let our minds, we can trace the path that we're beckoned to follow. It's, it's a life of dependence, utter dependence on the Father. And it's a life of singular devotion. And we can trace the path to the upper room and we can see his, his bread and his wine. And, and then we can leave and out of that room to the cross where his body was broken and his blood was spilled. And, and then we can trace it into and back out of the tomb and into joy everlasting promised for us. So we take and eat and drink. follow. Lord, be with us, we pray. Amen. Sing heart of worship. Sing it earlier and just hold that space. Simplest form, what it means to be a person of God, a follower of Christ. Let's just sing this together. I'm coming back to heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made. And it's all It's all about you. Will we keep in step with your spirit, Father, to lead lives of simplicity? Only by your grace, Father. Amen. Church, if you need prayer, our prayer team is available to pray with you in the uh, prayer section in the back. Uh, we have it designated back there. And if you would love to visit with some of our staff, they'll be in the foyer in the info booth. Uh, we'd love to connect with you, but for now, let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said...